this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. Okay, everybody, I'm popping in here because I kind of made a promise that I might have a little something special for you today. Merry Christmas. And, uh, what I'm going to leave here is going to be five episodes. These are episodes that I originally recorded back in about January. And this was when the show was something very different, when I was still doing this under further questions. And I thought maybe I was going to do a show about the paranormal. And I had on five friends. And these are five episodes. They haven't been living anywhere since then. So I decided, what better day than today? to drop these into your feed. So if something sounds a little out of date and we talk about things before COVID, well, that's because this was before COVID. So enjoy the episodes. Remember what the world was like back then, about a year ago. And uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow when I come back with a new episode. I find Mitch Horwitz's books really interesting because... It's he he comes at, at things from a very different angle in the sense that um, he accepts a lot of things about Christianity and about uh, positive thinking and New Age that most people deject. Yeah, but he's yeah. I mean he's none of those three things, but then he's also very much in those three things, and it's it's very very interesting for me because um, I'm not a religious person, but I did grow up with religion. So seeing somebody be able to work those two things together in such a graceful way has really been, it's been a surprise for me. Wow. You know, I I think I resonate with it in the same way, actually. And I've never considered that. But after I started reading some of his work and uh, after I spoke with him on Euphemet back in the day, um, you know, I think I had an aversion to, to even talking or considering uh, organized religion, you know, uh, to some degree, having grown up in that space, um, kind of uh, not, you know, not being vehemently against it, but, you know, maybe just ambivalent towards some of it. And right. I think some of the notions and when when people would start talking about God or Christianity, I'd, I'd be turned off immediately in a way that I couldn't even rationalize until I started watching how individuals like Mitch would navigate those waters and learn from certain things and, and take, 
certain philosophies and, and, and illustrate why they're important to us, like sort of culturally and personally, that I think some of my aversion to that has drifted. Maybe it's, maybe it's just getting older and, and getting less, you know, sort of aggressive uh, against certain things and, and, and feeling like one has to take a stand on certain elements that has aided this. But certainly I think Mitch's work helps in that. I've been interested in what I, I refer to this area as the unreal, but in the unreal, the unknown, the weird for most of my life, but in more of a passive way. But then deciding to actually have the show focus on that, obviously I had to lean into it more. Sure. And in doing that, I started to realize that there's a certain perspective from both sides, from the, the non-Christian and the Christian side that um, we'll call the non-Christian side in, the, in this case, um, pagan, just as a blanket term, that they're against each other, that, the, you know, they're polar opposites. But me coming in the way that I did and starting to actually look at it from this perspective especially with the aid of Mitch Horowitz, started to realize that the two have so much more in common than uh, the atheist perspective has with either of them. Yeah. You know, they mm -hmm. they, they both believe in the supernatural. Um, prayer and a spell aren't really that different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're kind of exactly the same thing, actually. Yeah, both steeped in esoteric ritual. Exactly. In, in, in all sorts of uh, indoctrinations and rites of passage um, and just a connection to the other side uh, channeling. Right. I mean, what is more paranormal than stepping inside of the Catholic Church? Right. You know, and it's that point where I, I think you're right that once you start really accepting or digging into this material of the unreal, the unknown, I think I think you you come to that place, especially if you start experiencing things yourself. You you come to that place, uh, uh, Chapel Perilous. You know, one of my favorite authors ever, Robert Anton Wilson, describes this place, and it's where you either you know sort of accept that you're in the unknown, unknown now, or you sort of leave a stark raving agnostic. And um, you know, I, I think at that point, uh, the inclusion of a lot of this stuff is is then presented to you in a new way and it was like well hey what you know what is the difference between some of the rites and rituals and beliefs that's in this old ancient book um from some of these other notions from john keel or something and some of his in some mm -hmm. of his work you know so it's very interesting and how do you feel like that journey just turning the table on you real quick because I can't help myself. So apologies. <laughs> um, how do you feel that that journey for you is going right now? Are you finding yourself still two feet on the ground at this point? Have you spun out yet? I have not spun out yet. Actually, Ryan Singer and I were DMing about this because I, I, I'm like, some, I got to ask somebody who's gone through this. Because I started experiencing first, the first thing I started to experience was a sudden like intensity of emotion, mm. like um, not not in the sense that it was um, it was associated with anything. I just started feeling specifically feeling anger. Like I would be walking and I'm I'm walking the dog and going, I'm really angry right now. Why am I angry? Mm. Where is this intensity coming from? And th over time, I started to think about I'm like. Oh, maybe, you know, like I opened the door 
you know, like maybe I'm being flooded with new energy because I've opened this door. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of worked itself out. And then maybe three weeks ago, I started having like very strange nightmares, I'm wrestling with dark entities and things like that. Like, oh, mm. so this is interesting. I'm not sure, you know, like as as with any of this stuff, I'm sure you know better than I do. There's always that question of, well, it could just be something else. Mm. You know, it could be I ate at two in the morning. <laughs> and, you know, like there's all of these other things. But like, I think yeah. that they curry does weird things. Mm, I haven't tried curry late at night. <laughs> Thanks for the warning on that one. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, Chad, like, I don't, I don't know either, you know, um, you, you know, I, I mean, I, I think unless I could qualify, uh, that, that I can definitely validate your experience in, in, in a way that, that I share that, you know, uh, I think that's one of the big fights for any of this. Um, I think, when you're dealing with this material, even on the periphery, and you start to see bits and pieces of this seep into your life, whether that's dreams, for example, you, you, you I think it's really natural to consider the implications of that. Um, is this a piece of this real phenomenon, or is it that late night food? Um, have I not got enough sleep? Um, am I fucking going insane? Uh, you know, I mean, I think those are all real considerations that one must sort of keep in the back of their head. And I think that, you know, as long as one can separate those observations from one's real life, I think that you have a really good chance. Anyone has a really good chance of, of kind of keeping productive and keeping on the straight and narrow. Um, we have, however, seen those that leap in with two feet forward and never return. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always my fear. My fear is based in uh, a place where it's, you know, hey, you experience enough, you uh, are compelled to dig deeper and deeper and deeper until you realize you're 50 feet in the ground and there's no way to scale back up and onto the surface. I don't want that to happen, right? So I'm always I'm always looking to see that I'm sort of ground level with things and that's just taking, you know, I don't know, uh, keeping it all pers- in perspective, I suppose. You can see that permeating the UFO community. You know, and going yeah. back to Chapel Perilous, one of the paths, he says there's only two endpoints of Chapel Perilous, agnosticism or paranoia. And when you look at a lot of the UFO community, they're caught up in like this paranoid, you know, conspiracy thing that just keeps getting Mm -hmm. bigger and more complicated. And, you know, it's, I think that's, you know, somebody like Alex Jones, I think that's like the danger of two feet, right? Mm -hmm. That you lose Mm -hmm. complete touch. And now, now the things that you're holding on to as your, um, we'll call it your low, <laughs> your low risk beliefs. What would have <laughs> normally been, you know, like those would have been out on the edge before because you were grounded. When you let go of the grounding, that becomes your connection to the world. 
And since those things are tenuous at best, they're possibilities at best, you have no connection at all because the thing that you're holding on to as the more conservative ideas are still only possibilities. Yeah. So now you're right. spinning. Yeah. And and you're spinning out of control and you're spinning in a room alone a lot of times. And you're you're spinning at a speed where normal people can't catch up to you. And so th- that's that's a that's a fear always, I think, uh, for me. And I think that it should be a fear for most in that I, I think it's always dangerous when you put yourself in a place where you can't communicate uh, and relate and be empathetic and share experiences with other people. Mm. And I don't mean within a small niche community. I don't mean just, you know, 12 friends on a message board somewhere. I mean, generally out in the world in, in this space, um, we're seeing this right now, right? Like, I don't know when you're going to release this, but we're living in a, a movie right now. We're living in science fiction um, or, or a, a horror honestly. And we're seeing the, the implications in real life of those becoming isolated, uh, against their own will and having to reconcile that feeling while desperately seeking community, desperately seeking reaching out. I mean, I tell you what, man, like, I think it's great that you're, uh, recording interviews right now as you are. Um, because I was thrilled to come on and just speak to someone else today. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, uh, and not to complain, I'm in a really great situation. I'm with my wife and with our pets in a small town, like feel very safe. I don't feel like super isolated. There's beaches we can walk. It's beautiful. But for those others that are out there right now, listening to our voices, that might not be the case for them at this very time. And it's important, I think, just like we are talking about two feet on the ground, is to also keep this in perspective. You know, um, whether it's the phenomenon of the strange and the unknown, or it's something much based in, you know, sort of grounded consensus reality, this too shall pass, right? And like, there's going to be a series of time where we are committed to... um a consolidated effort to quarantine, isolate, react, and respond to this current situation. But it's not going to be forever. And guess what? If it is forever, we're going to figure a different way out to, uh, to navigate these waters of our, of our lives. Uh, so that's just my PSA for this one. <laughs> but you bring up a really interesting point, though, too, is this going into... Any of these topics, you know, like I use the word possibility a few times. It's good to understand that even the things that we think we know or the things that we think are going to be positive, we're not sure of. You know, I've I've used this metaphor before, but like what most people say when they're in a situation where someone's pulled a gun on them, they say, I couldn't believe it was happening. Yeah. And that's something that's very real, that's tangible that we know happens. And the reason I bring that up in context of, you know, this coronavirus, um, you know, like right now I'm in Santa Clara County in, Cal- in California, uh, Silicon Valley, for people who don't know what the, where that is. And we're in mandatory 
you know, like we're supposed, everybody's supposed to stay home. It's mandated for us and the four counties around us. Yeah. So I went into that with the perception of, of believing I knew what that was going to be like. It was mm-hmm. going to be this negative experience. Everybody was going to be in their house hoarding toilet paper. You know, it was going to be this post-apocalyptic world in a way, right? Like our, our first taste of the, of the apocalypse in some way, you know, like that's kind of what was in my head. Well, 10 minutes before we started recording this, I came back from a walk. I walked the dog every day. Normally when I walk in this suburban neighborhood, I see five, maybe 10 people. Today, I saw 40 people. Everyone's out walking and they're all waving. There's dads outside playing basketball with their children. There's kids riding bikes with their mom. It was not what I expected. And to have that experience with the reality, you know, like tangible, what we believe, I use the word reality always with quotation marks, but the things that we believe are consistent for me to be surprised by that, then I should never approach things in the unreal. And this is me philosophizing for myself, but I should never approach those. So every barrel has minor imperfections and those minor imperfections, they mar the bullet because here's this piece of metal going through this barrel very fast. So it leaves marks, striations in the bullet. So you can match those to a barrel and say, this bullet was fired from this gun, or in particular, this bullet was fired through this barrel. But I don't know of any way to look at a bullet and say, this came from this kind of gun. Now, I could be, I could be wrong here in the sense that perhaps 32 Ivor Johnson's, since it is a very peculiar looking revolver, that maybe they fire a kind of 32 that no other gun fires. So maybe that's how they knew. But I thought that was a strange thing because you you really can't look at a bullet. You can you can say the caliber of the gun a bullet came from by looking at it, but you can't say what gun it came from. You know, a nine millimeter. Okay, is it from a Ruger? Is it from a Beretta? Don't know. Don't know. It's just a nine millimeter. It's just a bullet. You know, they'll be like looking at copy paper and going, "I can tell you what printer this came out of." No, you can't. So it's possible, it's possible that maybe Ivor Johnson 32s are strange and you have to make special 32 bullets for an Ivor Johnson. But they also said that they were looking for the gun that had been seen, used, which seems to insinuate there were eyewitnesses. But I don't think that's possible because, once again, let's go back to that story. He shoots her, he leaves, and he comes back. She's still there. Nobody's attended to her. No police are there, no paramedics, no no, no, no other human beings. So it seems to insinuate that nobody saw the shooting. So how could anybody say what the gun looked like? It's very strange. Sidebar, but very interesting part of the story that I don't understand. Part of this could be just because Unsolved Mysteries is telling this part of the story as background. So they're not really interested in filling all the gaps here because they just want you to know this stuff so that they can tell you about this fugitive. Okay, so doesn't mean that the police don't know the answers to these. I just don't know the answer to these and you won't either if you watch this or you have watched this. So they bring in 
Eubanks, and he confesses during interrogation. He goes to court. He confesses in court as well. He's sentenced to death. He's sentenced to death, and then as he's in prison, it gets delayed, and then it gets delayed again, and then by that time, the death penalty is abolished in Ohio. So in 1973, you have a death row inmate who is no longer really facing death, but is facing life in prison, going to a shopping mall. And this, I mean, this guy was a strange dude. One person describes, I I think it's actually one of Mary Ellen's cousins, describes him as a guy that used to walk down the street with nunchucks, swinging nunchucks. Is it nunchucks or nunchucks? It's nunchucks. I think you probably want to say that M too, but it's nunchucks. So that's the kind of, I mean, that's, I mean, that doesn't say a lot. You know, some people are just weird. doesn't mean that they're sexual predators and murderers. But this dude was weird. But then other people, it's funny, other people describe him. He was, he was nice and well-liked. I'm like, but some other people just called him weird and the guy that walked down the street with nunchucks. <laughs> I don't know, small towns. So he's on the run, 1973. He's gone. He's gone. 20 years later, 1993, a cop in Mansfield asked himself the question, whatever happened with that, with that Lester Eubanks? I mean, somebody, it's been 20 years, somebody had to find him now. Looks up in the computer to see, you know, he's curious, he just wants to see what the resolution of that case was. Looks it up. You know what he finds? Nothing. Nothing. Somehow, clerical error or something, there are no warrants on Lester Eubanks. Somehow the warrants just didn't make it into the system, which means in the 20 years of run-ins he's had with the police, times he's been pulled over, no one has been looking for him. man who murdered a 14-year-old girl in cold blood escaped from prison, and no one's been looking for him for 20 years. So obviously, when this is realized, everybody decides we got to find this son of a bitch. And then he ends up in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. I'm sorry. An episode of America's Most Wanted in 1994. After that, they find out that he's been... Uh, they go the, the police, they go to visit his father. This part of the story pisses me off. Maybe, maybe almost as much as a prison part of the story, you know, taking them Christmas shopping. His father, they interview his father, and he says he'll talk to them about whatever they want, but he won't talk to them about Lester. And they get the feeling when they leave this conversation that his father knows where he is. And they find out, I guess, somebody is at the father's house or something like that, and he makes a comment and he needs to talk to his son on the phone. He's got a phone call with his son. He's, you know, like, excuse me, I've got to talk to my son on the phone. He's calling, he's calling from Alabama where he's, he's painting a, a youth center. So as the police check out all of the other Eubanks children, nobody's in Alabama. 
So they checked the phone records. And indeed, Mr. I think his name was Mo Eubanks has been talking to someone in Alabama at a youth center. So they go and they find find out that he was there. Anyways, there's no resolution to this story. But the thing about it here is, I understand loving your children. I understand that. I understand not wanting to think the worst of your children. But your son committed a crime, confessed twice, and went to prison and escaped. And you're not going to say a word. Your son murdered a 14-year-old girl because he wanted to rape her. And you're not going to say a word of where he is. Somebody says in here he's a man of the cloth. That's bullshit. You know, he wasn't. Because forgiveness is important. Love is important. But you got to pay your dues too. You know, man of the cloth would mean that you believe in some sort of morality. That you believe that people who do wrong should face up to the wrong that they do. Not allow them to hide for 20 years from the police. And let's talk about something else. It's mentioned very briefly in this episode, but we know that people who commit sexual assault, they don't know how to stop. So what has this guy been doing? Because he's still out there right now. Since 1973. He's been he's been free from, from escaping from prison longer than I've been alive. By four years. That makes it almost 50 years. In 50 years... How many other sexual assaults has this guy committed? Even if it's one, it's one too many. But I don't think a guy like this is not going to, he's going to restrain himself. This is a man, he's a psychotic. That he could shoot a little girl, leave, go get dressed, come back, and then smash her head with a brick. This isn't somebody who just becomes a happy-go-lucky guy and lives under the lives under the radar. This is somebody who's going to commit more crimes. This is somebody who maybe shouldn't be out there at all. Because well, n- not maybe. I mean, if he had been released, maybe. But he was facing life, so no, he shouldn't be out there at all. And the fact that he's been able to be out there For 50 years, I mean, he could be dead now, maybe. But you know, and I know, that only, as as, uh, Billy Joel said, only the good die young. That this crooked motherfucker is out there. And he's still alive. So, let me say this. I'm going to put up a picture of, um, maybe I'll put in the show notes too. I'll put links to a picture of what this dude looks like, the age progression. I'm also going to put it up on my Twitter. If you've seen this guy, call somebody. Seriously. I mean, if you if you have to do it for money, there's a $25,000 reward from the U.S. Marshals. If you have information, you can call the U.S. Marshals at 1-866-4-WANTED. That's 1-866-4-WANTED. It will be in the description of the show notes as well. You can also go to unsolved.com and click the little tip, leave a submit a tip button, I believe it says. It's red. It's in the top right hand of the of the website. Go there. 
let's uh he's on the he's in the he's in the most wanted he's on the most wanted list for the US Marshals. Let's uh put this guy back where he belongs. And I think maybe that's where I'm gonna end this. I don't I don't feel like I could go on to another topic about this. A little worked up, but I mean like, come on. This is just ridiculous. Fourteen beautiful fourteen year old girl. And he didn't have to pay for it. He didn't what he he served less than ten years before he escaped. It's just not right. All right. I'll have to get around to some more of these unsolved mysteries once. I don't want to do like a bunch in a row because then I get you see how worked up I get on some of these. I don't want to get too worked up. If you uh, like what I'm doing, you can follow me on Twitter, which, like I said, I'll put up a picture of this guy. And I'll try to, I'll put up a picture of the gun too. It's a very strange looking gun. You should at least see what that looks like. You could also watch the episode. They don't show you the gun in the episode, I don't think, but you can watch the episode. It's a great episode. Hopefully you've already seen it. I didn't spoil it for you. But there's, I don't know, 40% of what they cover in that episode that I didn't talk about here. Like, all of the attempts to find him since 1970, well, since 1993, I should say. And if you want to dig into the archives of this show and hear some more of the true crime episodes, I could recommend you going back to episode one. This is back from when the show was called Further Questions. And the episode is the Albert DeSalvo problem, where I talk about the problem with the theory that Albert DeSalvo was the Boston Strangler and how even though DNA proves that he was at the final crime scene, the psychological makeup of the man doesn't seem to fit the psychological makeup of the Strangler crimes. And if you want to support this show, you can go over to Patreon dot com forward slash chad hall or you can go to the lend hand page on my website check out i think it's a list of 10 items of different ways you can help this show including buying me a book or introducing me to a company that i want to work with because i have a list of companies that i would like to work with other than that uh i don't know if you're pissed off about this episode, spread it, or at least spread the photos of this guy. You don't have to spread my episode. Spread the episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Spread the photo of this guy. Let's uh, be nice if something like this went viral and the guy went to prison. Not for me, but for Mary Ellen Diener. Talk to you soon. Howl like a wolf. I howled like a wolf. I sent those over to him. He made the song. It's a, It's an amazing song. He sent it back to me. I decided I wanted to say this is random badassery over it. I recorded myself. I pitched it down. I put it on there. I saved it. And then I deleted everything except for the version with me saying that. So I can't remove that. Now Cruels is looking through old hard drives to see if he has the version without me saying that. If he finds it, then I'll change it. And if he doesn't, then maybe we'll just keep it. We'll just keep it as an artifact of the past, a reminder of where we began, and a reminder that we don't always know where we're going. But what I would also like to do is I'd like to open up an opportunity for you guys. If you are musically inclined and you would like to do a cover or a remix of the theme song, send it to me. 